It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 19th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The city may be adding at least 11 full-time staff positions this year. At a special meeting on February 8th, the Assembly reviewed budget proposals from city departments, which, in addition to more staffing, include everything from a request for body cameras for Sitka's police to new de-icing equipment for local roads. The 11 full-time positions include four full-time firefighters, a tourism manager, a circulation manager at the library, and a new accountant. It also includes four maintenance positions, which the city will absorb if it takes over maintenance for the Sitka School District. And the city's finance director, Melissa Haley, told the Assembly that there may be requests in the future for more full-time positions. Right now, the city is flush with federal grant money. Municipal Administrator John Leach said that this year he's focused on getting those grant projects off the ground. Uh, This year, my focus has been the human capital side and getting the resources we need to get those projects going, because as you saw on the previous slide, $78.4 million worth of federal grant funding secured. Um, We have lots to do right now. But the city is already struggling with retention. Right now, it's advertising for 27 vacant positions. Haley said a recent employee survey showed dissatisfaction in a number of departments. We have a number of employees who are serious or who have seriously considered leaving CBS employment. There's uh, about 43% who feel they aren't uh, fairly paid. I think one of our other challenges is is that across the board, um, staffing has become a huge challenge. Leach said the problem is not unique to Sitka. Across the state, cities are struggling to retain employees. People are leaving the state in in pretty big numbers, and it's because there are better opportunities in other places, um, and we need to find a way to make Alaska more competitive. The city's budget is growing not just because of an influx of federal funding. It's also seen historic sales tax returns driven by both inflation and the increase in summer tourism. But not every industry is booming. Assemblymember Chris Yested, who is a commercial fisherman, said his industry is getting hit hard and he's worried about adding full-time positions when a key pillar of Sitka's economy is struggling. I'm just nervous because I am seeing, well, as soon as I opened up the slideshow today, I saw storm clouds and I just went, man, that is how I feel right now as I see storm clouds brewing with our, um, our economy in this town. So... I'm not saying really no to anything yet. I'm just very hesitant to start spending big. The meeting was just a presentation. No decisions on the budget were finalized. The Assembly generally meets a couple of times a month to review different aspects of the budget with city staff before approving a final draft later this spring. A Denali-area clothing store has been fined over $50,000 after claiming to sell products made from Yakutat alpaca, which don't exist. KCAW's Meredith Reddick spoke with Alaska Beacon's James Brooks about the mythical mammal that raised red flags for state investigators and the broader trend of fake souvenirs that claim to be made in Alaska. Give us a basic summary of what happened here. One of the things that's in state law is something that says something that's labeled as made in Alaska actually has to be made in Alaska. And in this case, investigators got a tip that a shop outside Denali National Park was selling products that were made in Alaska, or at least that's what the owners said. And in some of the cases, they were saying that their wool products were made from alpaca wool from Yakutat. 
And as anybody who lives in Yakutat knows, there's not any alpacas there. Okay, so we know Yakutat alpacas. Can you give us more detail about what exactly was happening in this shop? So in the case of this store outside Denali National Park, the folks were apparently importing things from Asia, importing things from Nepal, wool products, and taking off the labels and then putting on Made in Alaska labels. So for someone in Southeast, Yakutat alpacas would immediately, I think, raise a red flag. Are they able to do this more easily because the shop is targeted towards tourists? I imagine this kind of thing would have been caught quickly had it been, or or at least more quickly, had it been in southeast Alaska, where it's pretty clear there's not any alpacas around here. But in this case, it seems like it was caught fairly quickly. The Department of Law sent an undercover investigator, uh, overheard them talking with prospective customers, and then they came back the next month. And he was greeted immediately at the door by one of the proprietors who said without prompting, you are in the truly tribal store of Alaska from Yakutat. And so that that seems like it's a pretty blatant claim. So they had wool that they were saying was made from Yakutat alpacas. They also had other things like decorative ponchos, right? Yeah, exactly. Things that... Really, if you've been in Alaska, look more like things from the lower 48 or even from South America more than from Alaska. Tell me about what happened to the shop after the investigation. What kinds of fines did they have to pay? So the shop will end up paying, according to the settlement agreement, $53,000 to the state. And that'll be spread out over several years. And in addition to that, the shop has to notify the state if it's selling any products as being made in Alaska. You have to provide advance notice to the state, include details about the product, and a whole bunch of other things that'll be particularly time-consuming for this store to do. And that agreement will last five years, so they're effectively on probation for five years in addition to having to pay the fine. So James, what are the practical consequences of something like this? Why is the state putting energy into finding these stores? When I've talked with federal officials in the past, they said the reason for cracking down on things like this is that it can harm actual tribal artists. If people are importing things cheaply from overseas and trying to pass them off as actual Alaska-made products, that degrades the market for tribally-made artifacts and and crafts that are made by people who live here. Those tend to be more expensive because they're handmade. They take time. They take practice to get good at this. And so if people are selling knockoffs, That's money that's being taken away from Alaskans and Alaska communities. And James, you mentioned a trend. Just how widespread do we think this problem is in Alaska? That's a big question. We don't know 
we don't have hard figures on how big the market is for illegitimate made in Alaska products. We know it exists and we know that as the number of tourists coming to Alaska increases, the market for those products will increase as well, which is why it's important for the state, for federal officials to keep cracking down on this and preventing it from happening. That was KCAW's Meredith Reddick speaking with Alaska Beacon's James Brooks. You can read the full complaint and state settlement agreement on our website, kcaw.org. A Ketchikan resident submitted a letter to Alaska's Attorney General Treg Taylor that she calls a formal complaint against a series of local elected officials. As KRBD's Jack Darrell reports, the February 8th letter accuses local officials of retaliating against her after she attempted to remove books from teen library shelves. Deborah Simon submitted the so-called complaint, which is levied against several local organizations. The City of Ketchikan, the Ketchikan Public Library, the Ketchikan Gateway Borough School Board, and the Ketchikan Gateway School District as a whole. It specifically names almost 30 city officials. Simon is a member of the city's library advisory board. In recent months, she's attempted to get multiple books moved out of the teen sections at the public library and the high school libraries. In the letter, Simon describes what she calls deliberate retaliatory actions in response to the book challenges. Simon alleges she was targeted and treated unfairly by local officials because of her repeated challenges and corresponding appeals. Simon has argued the books should be moved because they're inappropriate for teens, saying they include content like vulgar language, masturbation, menstruation, and themes of depression and suicide. According to Simon, the school board changed their policy while her book challenges were still in process, and that the school board deliberately released her personal information, which threatened her family's safety. In her complaint, she also cites a performance at the recent Wearable Arch runway show as being retaliatory. At the show, Ketchikan area librarians gave a performance in which they were art pieces that include pages of banned books and pages of the U.S. Constitution under red robes. Simon alleges the performance was, quote, meant as retaliation against residents who have recently challenged youth titles and to all those who speak out in support of those challenges, unquote. Simon also alleges that the timeline of the performance meant that the performers, all public employees and elected officials, were, quote, actively working to undermine the established reconsideration process while they were supposedly evaluating citizen requests, unquote. Patty Sullivan of the Attorney General's office said in an email that Simon's letter is not a lawsuit complaint. The letter was also submitted to the Alaska Ombudsman's office, who Sullivan says only deal with complaints against state agencies. Sullivan called it a local issue and said, quote, the complaint should be shared and discussed with the city and the school district or school board, unquote. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.